Well, we have two more weeks in this series that we're going to be wrapping up here very shortly, just this Sunday and next, and then we'll be to Resurrection Sunday. It'll be Easter weekend, and so I'm really looking forward to that. As I said, we're, we're having services here. Um, having, having not had Easter gathering last year was... Um, hard, and I have no intention of doing that again. So you all stay healthy. Let's all get together, celebrate the work of Jesus Christ on Easter weekend. But this morning, we're going to continue in our series as we get close to wrapping this up. I want to start with a text that's been on my mind over the last two weeks, a text that you're probably familiar with for one reason or another. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is speaking with the wisdom that he has, not just the wisdom of many years, though he had many years of wisdom ruling as the king, but Solomon is speaking out of this abundance of wisdom that God had supernaturally given him in response to his prayer of humility when he became king. And in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, we read this famous section that Pete Seeger just lifted right out of the Bible and put into that famous bird song, the 1965 hit, Turn, Turn, Turn. It's just these words. He wrote six words and then repeated one over and over again, and the guy made lots of money. Anyway, we're going to look at Solomon, not at the song. What Solomon writes in those first few verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is this, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, A time to plant and a time to pluck up what has been planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. He goes on for four more verses to illustrate this reality. Our lives are made up of seasons that vary. His his point in these verses is that life is not monolithic. Things change. In fact, it's often been said the only constant in life is change. (laughs) Nothing stays the same forever. I'm enjoying the fact that we're on the cusp of the changing seasons outside. Hopefully you are as well. The snow and the cold of winter is giving way to the warmth and to the rain of spring that's bringing life, right? The dead brown grass is turning into green, growing, living grass. Hopefully where the, the mud is outside soon will be sprouting grass up out of it. The fields, they're, they're being prepared. I enjoy to, to drive by fields that have started to be worked so that they can get ready to produce something. It's, it's much nicer than just the, the cold time of winter and the death of winter. Soon trees are going to have leaves on them. The flowers will bloom. Our evenings will grow warmer and longer. The seasons are changing outside, and that's a good thing. Observing the changing seasons outside every year, it always makes me aware of how seasons change in our lives, too. Sometimes the the seasons of our life change slowly, like the seasons outside change slowly, day by day, little small changes, little differences that we can notice outside. And after a while, you realize we're into a new season. I mean, sure, we, we know there's a certain day on the calendar, spring starts here, but if you've been around a while, you know that may not mean just spring weather from there, right? We have April snowstorms occasionally that pop up. But after a while, we'll notice it's a new season. Spring, it is fully here. Winter's gone, and and we'll be in the midst of it. Sometimes it's slow change outside, and sometimes it's slow change in our seasons of life. And sometimes our our seasons of life will change very quickly. Tragedy and affliction and loss, those things can catapult us, really, from one season of life into another season of life altogether. And all these thoughts were in my mind because, as Solomon notes, there's times where the proper response to our season of life is to weep and to mourn, and then there's other times in our seasons of life that it's proper to respond with laughter and dancing and joy and celebration. Our personal seasons of life make it pretty clear which reaction we feel drawn to in a given moment, but as Christians, we're called to live beyond just 
what we feel personally and just what our seasons are personally. We're actually called to enter into the cares and concerns, into the seasons of life that other brothers and sisters, other believers around us would have. So the, the key text for that is Romans 12, 15, right? Where we're told as Christians we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So I was working on this message today and, and I had to rework my message today because in light of the season of mourning that Malia and I have been in over the last two weeks, I found myself thinking along two different lines. One was an upward line towards God and one was an inward line towards my own heart. The upward thought that I've had repeatedly over the last two weeks is one of just gratitude. Since March 10th, whenever we shared the news that our fourth baby had had died, we'd had another miscarriage, I have confidently known and felt the prayers of so many of you, my fellow Christians, brothers and sisters, who immediately entered into our season of mourning and grief and weeping alongside us. That support was, was needed for us, so grateful for that, those prayers, the love that was expressed Not only am I grateful to you, I was grateful to God that he put us together in a community where we could live life like this. We could be honest and open and support one another. That you were committed to following Romans 12, 15 and this command to enter into a season that may not have been your own season, but you were gracious to do that as part of the body of Christ. I'm grateful to you and I'm grateful to the Lord for that. The other thought, the other line that I've been following has been an inward thought. It's been knowing that this was the next spiritual disciplines in our series. And it was an awareness that as I got to talk about what I'm to talk about today, that these texts and this idea needed to speak to my own heart. It needed to get pressed into my own life because, as I said last week, these disciplines, I really believe, they're for the good times in our lives and the bad times in our lives. They are helpful in preparing us for what may come, but they're also helpful in letting us walk through trials like ones that we face in the midst of right now. I understand Really, clearly, that we don't get to control the seasons of our life. When a season starts, how long a season lasts, and when a season ends is not within any of our power. But the promise of Scripture is that we will move in and out of these various seasons, both personally and corporately. So I know that we won't always be in a season of mourning, Malia and I, personally. I'm assured of that by Scripture as I read Scripture. I'm assured of that by the testimony of the lives of other believers that I get to be a part of and get to be witness to. Tyler and Morgan are wonderful examples of that. If you're part of their life, you know how the Lord has led them through difficult and hard times, through loss and through mourning and sadness, and into this morning a moment of great joy and celebration with their son. God is faithful and kind, and we can be encouraged by seeing that in the lives of other people around us as well. And it's it's that topic, the season that, that they're in, the season that we participated in this morning as the church that we'll talk about today, this discipline, our 11th week of the series, is about joyful celebration. Joyful celebration. Finding and engaging in times of joyful celebration is actually a spiritual discipline that I'm convinced all of us need to be mindful of and intentional with in our lives. Again, we don't get to control the seasons of our lives that the Lord takes us through. Some of us go through seasons that are predominantly marked by grief and loss and affliction and trials, all of that. But the Lord's calling is not just that you and I would have joy when things are good and not just that we would celebrate when we feel happy. In fact, studying the scripture has led me to be more convinced of this truth than ever. God actually commands joy and celebration to happen even in difficult seasons of life. If you have your Bible, turn to Nehemiah chapter 8 this morning. Nehemiah chapter 8 this morning. 
as I was looking at the scriptures this week, it was the reality of life that was really striking to me. And I, I began to notice some of the details in Nehemiah 8 that really pushed in on my heart and challenged me in light of my season of life right now. In Nehemiah chapter 8, as you're turning there, the historical situation is this. The exiles are returning to Jerusalem, having been off in foreign lands. They're beginning to reestablish their lives there in the, in the promised land in Jerusalem after the wall and the city have been rebuilt. And, and now the need to return to the proper worship of God in their lives is pressed upon the leaders of the people very clearly. So here's what we read starting in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Now, all the people were gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Jumping down just to verse 9, notice this. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Now go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Now this text, like I said, stood out to me anew as I was preparing for this message, kind of adjusting it in light of the last two weeks, and as I said, there's seasons of life that we all go through that range from seasons where celebration's easy and natural and, and enjoyable to seasons of, of mourning and hardship, and we don't get to choose those seasons and control them, but the Word of God actually gives us instruction for when we are in those seasons and, get this, also gives us commands and instructions that supersede the seasons of life that we're in and the feelings we have in any given moment. So it was really striking to me looking at this text. When the word of God was being read and applied to the people, the people were, were being brought back to an understanding of how they were to be living in biblical worship and where they were falling short and where they were not doing what the Lord had instructed. And there's a specific command given to them in verse 9 that was one of those commands given to supersede the season of life. Look at it in Nehemiah 8, 9. Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught all the people said... To them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. I read that text this week, and I just stopped right there. Because if you go back just one chapter, Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 66, you would learn there are 42,360 Israelites, along with 7,337 servants there. That's 49,697 adults present in this assembly to hear the word of God being read. And the reality that struck me reading these words was those are real people living real lives, dealing with real seasons of life just like you and I would be in this room. I mean, think about that. Nearly 50,000 people are spoken to in this command 
And that means there must have been a lot of different seasons of life represented in the group. There would have been many who were grieving the loss of an elderly parent who had just died. There would be some that were mourning the death of a child, even some maybe perhaps mourning a miscarriage. There would be relational tensions that existed that were causing grief for families in that crowd. There'd be people who were struggling at that very moment with poverty, wondering where their next meal might come from. And there would have been lots of people who were suffering from various types of illness and physical affliction. These are real people, a real group of 50,000 people. A lot of problems would have existed there. A lot of seasons that would have rightly led to weeping and mourning and grief were present in the group. And then on top of it, when the word of God is read to this group of very real people, they corporately come to realize we have been negligent and sinful personally on top of all of it. We've come back to Jerusalem because we want to honor the Lord and live lives of worship to him. And as the law is read, we realize just how far away from doing what God has commanded we actually are. And they begin to grieve that. Their hearts are broken over it. They begin to weep at the result of understanding their own sinfulness. And yet, despite all those lives, the different seasons, the different complexities that's existing there in that group, undoubtedly at that moment, this command is given to all of them. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. And then he takes it a step further. Telling them not just to stop mourning, but actually go and engage in acts of celebration this very day. Go eat the good food. Go enjoy the good drinks. Go share and be generous with those who don't have anything prepared. And again, he reinforces in verses 10 and 11, it's repeated this command, and do not be grieved while they're to go and do these things. So I'm reading this, in my mind, I'm going back to those verses that I started the message with in Ecclesiastes 3 and in Romans 12, 15. I'm recognizing there's real seasons, and surely there's real seasons for these people who are there, but the reality of what I'm reading in this chapter is God speaking over the seasons of life that people are in and calling them to something greater corporately. Like I said at the start, God actually commands joy and celebration to happen even in difficult seasons of life. Now, all of that makes perfect sense to me logically. It's just simply, when we're told to set aside grief and mourning and enter into a time of celebration, that's just the inverse of what you and I do naturally when we're in a good season and someone else is in a time of mourning. What many of you did in the last few weeks as you entered into our season of mourning and grief was you set aside your season to enter into ours. Like we understand that. We know that if someone's grieving or mourning the death of somebody, we don't walk into that room and go, let me tell you about all the great things happening in my life right now. Let me tell you about my promotion at work. You know? We know there's a time to set aside our celebrations to enter in to the moment that someone else is with. That's good. That's right. And what's being said here is logically just the other side of that. There's moments where we need to set aside our mourning and our grief and enter into celebration with someone who has a good reason to do that. So logically, I I see what's happening here, and I go, yes, this makes sense in my head, but maybe you're like me, and you go, yeah, okay, that, that sounds good up here, but what about in here? Because that was what I needed to answer was the question from my own heart, how does one do that? How can a person go who's rightly grieving, who's rightly mourning something, how can they hear and obey a command from God like this and set that aside to enter into a moment of joyful celebration? Because you may get it here, but it's a lot harder in your heart to make that change. 
right? But I think that answer to how we could do this is here in this same text too. Look at verse 10 again with me. He told them in these acts of celebration, he said, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The ability to be able to do this, the ability to be able to set aside grief and mourning and enter into an act of joyful celebration cannot come from our own power or our own resolve. There's no switch you can just flip and go from grief to happiness. It's not possible to just choose one over the other in a moment. So where would this ability come from? Where would the ability to have joy come from? Where would the strength to celebrate with others come from when we ourselves feel empty or weak personally? It comes from the all-powerful God who gives his strength to his people. It comes from the God who has perfect joy within himself, giving that to his people. It comes from him pouring into us to enable us to do what we cannot do on our own. The scriptures tell us in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, a text you probably are familiar with, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Usually we go to this text and we start to unpack some of that list, but just notice how it actually starts there. This is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of your discipline, not the fruit of your strength, not the fruit of your work, not the fruit of your effort. It's the fruit of the Spirit of God at work in his people producing something that you and I can't muster up on our own ability. This is the work of God in us. These things come to us as God's gifts. And that's why Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, not just this one verse, but the whole section. In 4.4, you're familiar with this command by Paul. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. But Paul doesn't leave this command here as a standalone command. He doesn't root this in our power or strength of will to just choose to rejoice He goes on to tell us how we are able to obey this command. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See, that's the connection that we really have to get. The joy of the Lord as our strength is found when we rely upon him and seek him. That's where the strength to obey this type of command can only come from. Paul's telling us we should be people who can rejoice. Why? Because our God is at hand. He means he's with us. We don't need to be anxious because we can pray and ask God to meet our needs by his omnipotent power. We don't need to fear because he's the God of peace and his presence is more than enough to conquer anything we face. We're told to think of the good things of God in our lives. That is what produces joy and rejoicing in us. 
The focus of our lives, the focus of your daily thoughts should be upon what is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. But the issue comes into our lives in that far too often, that's not really what we're often thinking on, right? Like we're told here, not just think, it's, it's, it's stronger than that. It's dwell, it's linger, it's discipline your thoughts to be on these things. But too often, that's not what fills our mind. And certainly we understand there are seasons where that's more difficult because of the season that we're in than others. There, there's a moment in grieving, or, or many days perhaps, in grieving where we focus on things that aren't lovely and excellent. Our mind is hard to move past thinking about things that are sad, thinking about things that are lost, thinking about perhaps even anger or disappointment. Those things come at us hard, and it's hard to overcome those in the strongest moments of our grief and our mourning. And we understand that, and there's grace in those moments for that. But far too often, we're just living against this command in other seasons of life as well, without any really good reason. Instead of us having the God-centered focus on what he is doing, instead of being led to celebrate his work, we tend to focus on lesser things that do not produce joy and do not produce celebration in us. And yet we find that to be more comfortable for some reason than having the joy of the Lord in us, right? I mean, even churches get into trouble like this when people begin to focus upon the lesser things instead of the lovely, excellent, praiseworthy things of God, right? I mean, if we're honest, even in this room, right, we can admit sometimes we get hung up and focused on our own preferences, wanting to push back against change instead of seeing what, what has God been doing that's led to the opportunity to change and grow. Sometimes we can get bitter. We can get focused on our own anger or our own disappointments instead of just going and talking to the person or the people that we have a concern with or a question for. We, we will run around and we'll do other things. People can get judgmental and unforgiving instead of seeking to be people of peace who reconcile with one another, living lives that reflect the character of our God and his grace towards us. All of these things can happen, even in us if we're not on guard, because our focus is too easily drawn off of God and onto things that are not true, that are not just, that are not pure, that are not lovely, that are not commendable, that are not excellent, that are not worthy of praise. And if whatever we're dwelling on or thinking about or working into our hearts or we're, it's, it's the thing that's, that's holding us captive, then if that's true, then we're not going to live with the joy and the strength that the Lord intends for us. And so what I want to do is I want to call us, all of us together, to dwell on the right things, to celebrate the right things so that we're honoring God. I mean, I'll be honest, sometimes it's a challenge for me to remember to, to celebrate as often as I should. It's a difficulty for both Malia and I. We know that. We work on that. It's sometimes a challenge for me just to remember to put the good things that we should be celebrating in front of other people. I can get kind of focused sometimes. I can assume, well, everybody knows all these good things, and they're already celebrating these good things by themselves, surely, so let's just move publicly forward to the next thing. I need to work at being intentional to highlight things, not just at various times in the year, which I'm fairly good about doing, but more regularly, more intentionally sharing, hey, these are the good things that God is at work doing, so we can all together experience the joy and the celebration of those things. 
There's a lot of good things, a lot of pure and lovely and excellent and worthy of praise things that are happening here in the lives of the people in this church and in this church body corporately over the last several years. I could just go back from 2018 to, to now. Our average Sunday morning attendance has gone up about 30%. That's wonderful. We should celebrate that. The Lord's brought new people into this place. Praise God. We've added eight new families to this congregation, regularly attend here. Praise God. That's worth celebrating. We've added 18 new members to the church roster in just the last almost three years. Praise the Lord that that's happening. We went from having no online presence in 2018 to now reaching an average of 196 people per week hearing the word of God preached through our online media presence. That's wonderful. Our small groups have continued to grow year over year. Now we have about 48 people gathering regularly to study the Word of God and go in-depth on that, to open their lives to one another, where in this place, in this room, it's hard for you to find the time to really share deeply with one another. I get that. That's why small groups exist, so that you can walk in, and you've got an hour, 15, whatever your group runs for, to share. This is where I am in life. This is where I'm struggling in life. This is where I need help in life, praying with one another, 48 members of our church are engaging in that regularly. We should celebrate. The Lord's blessed our church so much that in 2020, our income was double what it was in 2017. That's an amazing gift of God. And what that's meant is that in just the last three years, we've given over $244,906 to missions work in the U.S. and around the world. In just three years. And that, if we step back and look at what God's been doing a little bit farther than that, just going back to 2005, our church, this church, has given more than $1.2 million to missions. We should celebrate. Not saying, look at us and how great we are. Looking at, wow, God, you have so richly blessed us. You've been so kind to let us be a part of all of this. Most exciting to me, is that we've done nine parent and baby dedications like the one we did this morning. We've celebrated 15 water baptisms in the last three years here in this church, and we have had nine people make professions of faith in Christ just in these last almost three years. We should have joy and celebrate these good things. Amen? Amen. All these things, these are pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise types of things. They're the things we should be dwelling on and focusing on more often. Because all of those things, if you're really going to start to think about those and dwell on those, they will produce in you joy. They will make you want to celebrate. They make me want to celebrate. Even in a hard season, when I focus on this, my heart is lifted. My praise is flowing more freely. It moves us to joy and to worship of the gracious God who makes all these things possible. Even in the midst of difficult seasons that many of us walk through, the reality is the Lord is saving people. The Lord is growing people in relationship with him. The gospel message is actually true and is actually at work here. And that should give us strength, every one of us, when we dwell upon that reality, no matter what else may be going on around us. There's nothing better for us to focus upon and draw our strength from than the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that the strength of the joy of the Lord is found, no matter what season we may find ourselves in, it's found as we see and remember the power of the gospel. 
to know that Jesus is altogether lovely. He is every hope fulfilled. He is powerful over all things. He is present with us wherever we are, in whatever moment it may be. He is perfectly and eternally righteous. And in him, all his people are secure. That's what the gospel message tells us, that salvation is not found in us. It's not found in our seasons. It's not found in our actions or our reactions. Our salvation is found securely and only in Jesus Christ. And so when we look to him and we look to that message, we can get beyond ourselves. We can see that no matter what is going on around us, no matter how dark the moments around us may be, Christ is this shining bright beacon above it all, better than it all. And it will change us if we have him, if we're in a relationship with Jesus, if we're saved by his grace, then you and I, we always have a reason to celebrate personally. And that power of the gospel message can enable us to do that when it's deep in our hearts, in our souls, in our minds from our security with him, even when we mourn, even when we're struggling with things, we can look beyond ourselves and find joy in who he is and what he is doing. This is why Paul writes, as I read last week, that we as Christians do not mourn as those who have no hope because we do have hope in Christ. Christians are people of hope and we're changed by that hope. We're strengthened and empowered to do what someone apart from Christ cannot do. Listen, if you don't know Christ the way I'm talking about today. If, you, if your seasons of life are all that control things for you, you're either up or you're down based on what's happening around you. If you have nothing outside of yourself to anchor in, if you don't feel secure in the love of Christ because you're not trusting in him, because you're thinking you're going to earn salvation, you're going to be good enough, you're going to go enough places, you're going to do something to get it, hear me today, set all that aside and find strength and security in Christ. Because he alone can save. You will never be good enough. Your situations will never be calm enough. You need a secure Savior, and in Christ, we have him. My prayer for each one of us is that we would stop looking inward to our own abilities or stop looking around us to compare to other people. We would start looking upward to the Christ who is altogether lovely, who is altogether sufficient, who has said, it is finished. I've paid the price. Trust in me. That's my goal. Now we would look to the one who's conquered all sin and death and sickness and disappointments and we would find he is that glorious and his gospel is that great and it can speak to our moments, whatever they may be. Wendy, if you and the team will come, they're gonna sing another song and give us just a chance to respond this morning. And I'm gonna ask you to search your own hearts and to pray and to ask these questions Ask yourself this. Only you and the Lord can answer this. Do I understand the gospel well enough to have it empower me to enter into joyful celebration no matter what season I may be in personally? Do you believe in the gospel that strongly that you can feel that in your own life? Ask, do you have a real relationship with Jesus that would enable you to look to him as the one who could meet your every need? Or is your view of Jesus something different? He's good for church. He's good at the, at, the, at the place I go. But meeting my daily needs, I don't know if I know that, Jesus. If you don't, today's the day to meet him. Do you understand the love of God truly so that you 
place him above all things in your life? Or something else there, crowding out the space that only he belongs in? And the question, the final question is this, am I dwelling on the wrong things? Or am I faithfully obeying God's commands to tell me to think about what is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, excellent and worthy of praise? As we close with this song, it's a chance for you to respond. You can lift your voice and sing. You can come to the altars and pray. You can kneel down where you are and ask the Lord to help you deal with these questions. Jesus is alive. He is here and he's ready to work with any of us who will respond to him this morning. I pray we take advantage of this time. Let's worship together of how you are with us and you see us. You see our seasons. You know exactly where we are. And yet what you call us to is far greater than just our own lives. I pray, Lord, that you help us to see that. Help us to set our minds and our focus upon you, upon the right things, Lord, that we would live in a way that honors you and glorifies you. Help us to be people who rightly celebrate who you are and what you are doing, Lord. We thank you for the chance to worship you in this place today. Again, we lift up the needs that are in this place. There are many, Lord. And we pray that you would meet them. We pray for those who are not here. We pray for Fern this morning who's not feeling well. God, touch her body and bring healing to her, we pray. We thank you for her, Lord. We thank you for the great recovery that she's had. We ask your blessing upon us this day as we go, Lord, that you would stay with us, you would keep your word planted deeply in us, that we would glorify you as we think much of you, for you are altogether lovely and altogether good. And it's in your beautiful, powerful name that we all pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen.